Hello, this is Snigdha from Newslaundry.com bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Wednesday, the 5th of August. India recorded more than 52,000 new COVID-19 cases, marking a full week since infections have been consistently rising by more than 50,000 per day. With this, the country's total number of infections is now over 19 lakhs. The death toll due to the virus, meanwhile, is close to touching 40,000, with more than 850 fatalities reported in the last 24 hours. The ICMR Director General Balram Bhargav has said that the three vaccine candidates in India are progressing well. He said inactivated virus vaccine candidate by Bharat Biotech and the DNA vaccine by Zydus Cadilla have completed Phase 1 studies in 11 sites and started Phase 2 trials. Phase 1 and 2 trials are for safety studies and very early efficacy studies. He added that Phase 2 and Phase 3 of clinical trials for the Oxford University vaccine candidate will begin within a week at 17 sites across India and the trials will be conducted by the Serum Institute of India. Meanwhile, Zenera Pharma, a subsidiary of Biofor India Pharmaceuticals, has received approval from the Drugs Controller General of India to manufacture and sell favipiravir tablets for treating patients with mild to moderate symptoms of COVID-19. The tablet will be sold under the brand name Favizen and will be manufactured at Zenara's facility in Hyderabad. In an alarming statement, WHO Chief Scientist Somya Swaminathan on Tuesday said that India's testing rate is low compared to some of the countries such as Germany, Taiwan, South Korea and Japan that are successfully trying to curb the virus. She said without adequate testing, fighting the virus is like fighting fire blindfolded. Swaminathan added, and I quote, even the United States is testing a huge number of people. So we need to have some benchmark and every public health department needs to have benchmarks on what is the rate of testing per lakh or per million, what is the test positivity rate, etc. As Prime Minister Modi today proceeded to formally lay the foundation of the Ram Mandir in Ayodhya, as many as 150 police personnel who have recovered from COVID-19 were deployed for his security. UP Deputy Inspector General of Police Deepak Kumar was quoted as saying, It is in the protocol for protecting the Prime Minister that he must be guarded by healthy personnel. Now what can be healthier in these times than a COVID-19 survivor? The Prime Minister's larger security detail will comprise of 400 additional personnel who have tested negative for COVID-19 in the past 48 hours. Meanwhile, another minister from Uttar Pradesh has tested positive for COVID-19. Cabinet Minister Brijesh Pathak, who contracted the virus, said in a tweet in Hindi that he got tested after he showed symptoms for COVID-19. Former Maharashtra Chief Minister and Senior Congress Leader Shivaji Rao Patil Nilangekar passed away this morning. The 91-year-old had recently recovered from the novel coronavirus. In other news, Anil Rathor, a five-time former MLA of the Shiv Sena from Ahmednagar, also died this morning. He had tested positive for COVID-19. Meanwhile, Madhya Pradesh Chief Minister Shivraj Singh Chauhan has been discharged from Bhopal's Chirayu Hospital after recovering from COVID-19. In Gujarat's Rajkot, local leaders of Congress have announced that they will go on a week-long token hunger strike from today onwards in protest against the Rajkot Municipal Corporation's decision to not disclose the names of people testing positive for COVID-19. This comes after the RMC stopped revealing the names of those who contracted the viral disease from 26th of July. The Rajkot Municipal Commissioner Udit Agarwal had said that the decision was taken after the civic body received complaints from people saying that declaring their names constituted a breach of their right to privacy. 
Today marks the completion of one year of the abrogation of the special status of Jammu and Kashmir under Article 370. Keeping security in mind, the administration had imposed a two-day curfew across the Kashmir rally. Even as the security had been stepped up, a sarpanch associated with the BJP was critically injured in a militant attack in Kulgam district yesterday. Two policemen were also injured in a separate attack in Pulwama. Srinagar and other districts of the valley have imposed strict restrictions until the end of the day today. However, amid the COVID-19 pandemic, medical emergencies and movement of staff with valid cards and passes issued by the administration have been exempted from the restrictions. On the eve of the first anniversary, political parties in the Union Territory said that they would fight the changes made to the erstwhile state on August 5th last year. The National Conference said that August 5th is the darkest patch in the history of Jammu and Kashmir, marking the forcible, illegal and unconstitutional infringement of the rights of its people, saying that the party would fight the battle for the restoration of people's rights peacefully and legally. PDP's Sukhail Bukhari was quoted as saying that August 5th is a reminder of a constitutional fraud perpetrated on the people of Jammu and Kashmir. In the wake of this, former Jammu and Kashmir Chief Minister and National Conference President Farooq Abdullah had called a meeting of mainstream political leaders at his residence today. However, the meeting is unlikely to happen as most of the political leaders are still under house detention. The proposed meeting would have been the first assembly of mainstream political leaders since August 5th last year. However, some political leaders questioned the timing of the meeting. A senior mainstream leader said, and I quote, Farooq Sahib knows that the government would not allow this meeting on August 5th. I fail to understand why he chose this date for the meeting. He should have called the meeting after a few days or so so that leaders could have attended without any issues. Unquote. Meanwhile, to address issues of misgovernance and corruption, Lieutenant Governor Murmu said that Jammu and Kashmir administration will focus on strengthening and empowering Panchayati Raj institutions in the coming days. Effective implementation of the three-tier Panchayati Raj system will help mainstreaming of the public participation in the decision-making process and development of the Union Territory. He said that the three-tier Panchayati Raj institutions, including district chairpersons, block chairpersons and the village-level Panch and Sarpanch, have the potential to create a new political power-come-governance structure. Just a day before the abrogation, prominent unionist leaders had met at the fortified Gupkar residence of Farooq Abdullah to approve a hastily written resolution, touted as the Gupkar Declaration, stating that the representatives of the political parties resolved to remain together and stand united in their struggle for safeguarding the identity, autonomy and special status of the state. A year later, their silence, especially of unionist parties, after the abrogation has been deafening. And it is unclear if the centre is even keen on restoring political activity. To know more about the issue, do read Ryan Nakash's report on newslaundry.com titled Betrayal and Loss of Credibility. Kashmir's political parties have spent a year in limbo. Dear listeners, stories like these require not just time and effort but also resources. Now, as all of you know, News Laundry is a reader-supported news and media critique platform that is 100% free of advertisements. The reason being that we believe that media cannot serve true public interest unless it is independent. So if you hold the same ideals and want to be a part of the News Laundry family, hit that subscribe button on the top right corner of the website and pay to keep news free. 
Contrastingly, while Jammu and Kashmir marks its one-year completion since the abrogation of the special status under Article 370, the country also recorded a historic event marking the end of the decade-long dispute over the construction of Ram Temple. In a landmark verdict on November 9th last year, the Supreme Court had permitted the construction of a Ram Temple at the site where the Babri Masjid stood till December 6, 1992 when it was demolished. On account of it, today the Prime Minister Narendra Modi reached Ayodhya City for the groundbreaking ceremony of the temple. The main invitees included Uttar Pradesh Chief Minister Yogi Adityanath, Rashtriya Swayam Sevak Sangh Chief Mohan Bhagwat and Iqbal Ansari, who was a litigant in the Ayodhya case. BJP leader Uma Bharti, who had earlier said that she would not be attending the event, was also present at the site. Yoga Guru Ramdev, one of the invitees, said it is India's biggest fortune to witness the Bhumi Pujan or the groundbreaking ceremony for the construction of the Ram Temple in Ayodhya. He also said, and I quote, To establish Ram Rajya in this nation, Patanjali Yogpeet will make a grand Gurukul in Ayodhya. People from all over the world will be able to study Ved and Ayurved here. Unquote. While addressing the event, Uttar Pradesh Chief Minister Yogi Adityanath said that the power of India's democratic values and its judiciary has shown the world how matters can be resolved peacefully. The ceremony began at 12.45pm. After landing, Prime Minister Modi offered his prayers at the Hanumangari Temple and at Ramlala Shrine. During his address, the Prime Minister urged the attendees to chant Jai Siaram and Ram Chandraki Jai and said that this chant is not just echoing in Ayodhya but in the entire world. The Prime Minister declared that today Ram Janmubhumi breaks free of the cycle of breaking and getting built again. He said, and I quote, Ram Lala, who has been under a tent for years now, will see a grand temple, unquote. He said that in the movement to construct the Ram Temple, there was offering sacrifice, resolution and struggle. He compared it to the struggle for the country's fight for independence and said that just as August 15 symbolises the end of our struggle for freedom, today symbolises the culmination for our fight for Ram Mandir for centuries. Calling it a symbol of national sentiment and collective faith, he said, just as every section of the society supported Mahatma Gandhi during the freedom struggle, today every section has supported the Ram Temple. He also made references to countries like Indonesia, which has a large Muslim population, to say that it has a unique connection with Ramayan and that Lord Ram is still worshipped there. In the wake of the worsening pandemic, Modi also talked about the importance of physical distancing and of wearing masks to control the coronavirus crisis. However, at the event, the mask of many attendees, including RSS chief Mohan Bhagwat, could be seen dangling from their noses. To help out during this historic event, our TV news channels have been on a bhakti overdrive since this morning. And of course, they raked in some good old ad money on the side. While Z News slipped into full Astha Channel mode and hired singer Anuradha Podwal to give us the news, India Today's Pooja Shelley gave the viewers a nice floor-by-floor -floor 3D tour of the upcoming Ram Temple, an excellent combination of modern technology, science and religion. To know more about the highlights of TV News' coverage of the ceremony, do read Ayan and Meghnad's piece on newslaundry.com titled Ram Mandir Bhumi Pujan. TV News anchors bow to Lord Modi. In other news, Mumbai has been witnessing incessant rainfall over the last few days. The Indian Met Department had issued a red alert for Mumbai metropolitan region and some other parts of Maharashtra for today. The red alert was issued for the second consecutive day as rains continued to lash the city and adjoining districts. 
On Tuesday, several areas were waterlogged in the city, hampering the movement of people. There are also reports of people being displaced and missing due to the heavy rain. The police confirmed that two fishermen have gone missing and that 11 were rescued after a boat capsized some 12 kilometers off Gorai Beach in North Mumbai on Tuesday afternoon. A 35-year-old woman and her two children were swept away in a large drain after their house collapsed due to the heavy rain in suburban Santa Cruz on Tuesday afternoon. In another incident, a person got electrocuted after accidentally touching an electric pole in Maharashtra's Thane city on Tuesday morning following heavy rainfall. The body was sent to the civil hospital for post-mortem. According to the Met Department, the intensity of the rain is likely to decrease from August 6th. And now for some international updates. More than 18.54 million people around the world have been diagnosed with the novel coronavirus as of today. Out of these, more than 11 million have recovered, but over 700,000 have died. Amid fears of a widespread COVID-19 infection amongst voters, Sri Lankans will head to the polls today to choose a new parliament in an election in which the party of the president, Gotabaya Rajapaksha, is widely expected to win. According to an early-stage clinical trial, Novavax said its experimental COVID-19 vaccine produced high levels of antibodies against the COVID-19 virus. The firm added that it could start a larger Phase 3 trial by late September and it could produce 1 billion to 2 billion doses of the vaccine by 2021. Meanwhile, a study conducted by scientists at the United Kingdom's University of Cambridge and U.S.'s California Institute of Technology have found that human embryos could be susceptible to COVID-19 as early as the second week of pregnancy if the mother falls sick. They also informed that while initially recognized as causing respiratory disease, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which causes COVID-19 disease, also affects many other organs. In a distressing turn of events, nearly 24,000 health workers in South Africa have contracted COVID-19, of whom 181 have already died. South Africa is the hardest-hit country in the African continent, with more than 5 lakh infections diagnosed so far, accounting for more than half of the continent's cases. A massive explosion in the Lebanese capital of Beirut has killed at least 100 people and injured more than 4,000. Officials are blaming highly explosive materials that were stored in a warehouse at the port for six years. The president of the country confirmed the news by tweeting that it was unacceptable that 2,750 tonnes of ammonium nitrate were stored unsafely. However, an investigation is underway to find out the exact cause. Lebanon's Supreme Defence Council has said that those responsible would face the maximum punishment possible. Hospitals are said to be overwhelmed and many buildings have been destroyed. The president has declared a three-day mourning period and said that the government would release 100 billion lira for emergency funds. The Prime Minister Hassan Diab, meanwhile, called it a catastrophe and said that those responsible must be held to account. He spoke of a dangerous warehouse, which had been there since 2014, but said he would not preempt the investigation. Local media covered the extent of the destruction, showing people trapped beneath rubble. A witness described the first explosion as deafening and video footage showed wrecked cars and blast-damaged buildings. The blast was heard 240 kilometres away on the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean Sea. The explosion comes at a sensitive time for Lebanon, with its economic crisis reigniting old divisions. Tensions are also high ahead of Friday's verdict in a trial over the killing of ex-Prime Minister Rafiq Hariri in 2005. 
In response to the country's Prime Minister's call for international help, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson said that UK is ready to provide support in any way it can. US President Donald Trump also sent his deepest sympathies for what he called a terrible attack. France and Israel have also extended their support to Lebanon. That's all for today. Have a great day or a good night depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thank you.